Hello, I'd like to welcome you to our next podcast on the End Time series. My name is Keith Sieber, and I am the pastor of New Beginning Baptist Church in Palm Coast, Florida. And we'll be continuing on in uh, the book of Zephaniah. This will be part two on the dark side of the love of God in the day of the Lord. Uh, But first, before we get started, I want to just talk about our, our church services over the weekend and what our church did over the weekend. On Saturday, we had an outreach effort, went out to the community, and we gave out uh, a bunch of door hangers, some tracks. We talked to some people about church, invited some people to church. It was a a great Saturday reaching out to our community. And then on Sunday, we had some visitors again. That would be, I think, our sixth straight service with visitors. So I want to praise the Lord for that, so I'm thankful for them coming. Uh, these visitors actually were special visitors. They they came all the way out from Arizona and stopped by to see us, so it was a, a great Sunday. Uh, so we'll, as we get back here into our study on the end times, again, like I said, we're back in the book of Zephaniah, and I'm going to read from chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 4 to 9 in Zephaniah chapter 2. For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ashkelon a desolation. They shall drive out Ashdod at the noonday, and Ekron shall be rooted up. Woe unto the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Cherethus. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, the land of the Philistines. I will even destroy thee, that there shall be no more inhabitant. And the seacoast shall be dwellings and cottages for shepherds and folds for flocks. And the coast shall be for the remnant. Of the house of Judah, they shall feed there thereupon. In the houses of Ashkelon shall they lie down in the evening. For the Lord their God shall visit them and turn away their captivity. I have heard the reproach of Moab and the revilings of the children of Ammon, whereby they have reproached my people and magnify themselves against their border. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be as Sodom. And the children of Ammon as Gomorrah, even the breeding of nettles and salt pits and perpetual desolation, the residue of my people shall spoil them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. All right, before we get started, let's read our golden rule of Bible prophecy. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense but take every word at its primary literal meaning unless the facts of the immediate context clearly indicate otherwise. Now, just a brief review of our plan of how we're studying the end times. We've went over the introductory material already, and we've gone through the plot line of Bible prophecy, which was just an overview, a map of the big picture of our study. And then we're now in the setting section of our study of the end times, where we're looking at the book of Zephaniah. And then after after we get through Zephaniah, we're going to move on to Matthew 24, Matthew 25. And then that will conclude our setting, look at the setting of the end times. And after that, we're going to look at the cast of characters for the end times. That's just getting to know the main individual actors of the end times. And after that, we're going to move on to the scaffolding, what I've called the scaffolding and structure of the end times. That's mainly the timeline and nation actors of the end times. That's mainly a, a study of the book of Daniel, though it will not be a study of the entire book of Daniel. Uh, then after that, we're going to move on to the main narrative, and that will be mainly a study in the book of Revelation. 
with lots of cross-referencing back to the Old Testament as we go, and also we're going to look at the uh, book of Matthew a little bit more as we study the book of Revelation. So to start our study, uh, God's judgment begins in the house of the Lord. First Peter 4.17 says, For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Uh, This principle explains why Zephaniah started with the people of Judah. But now he explains how the day of the Lord will affect the Gentile nations surrounding Judah. Though they were never given God's law, as were the Jews, uh, Psalm 147, 19-20, then Gentiles are still responsible before God. For God has revealed himself to them in creation and conscience. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Furthermore, these nations had not always treated the Jews kindly, and now the time had arrived for God to judge them. The nation's name may represent all the Gentiles, since these nations correspond to the four points of the compass, Assyria to the north, Ethiopia to the south, Moab and Ammon to the east, and Gaza to the west. During the great day of the Lord, all the nations of the earth will taste the judgment of God, will taste the wrath of God. So let's look at the judgment of nations here. Since the predictions about the destruction of these nations have all come true, it is reasonable to assume then that Zephaniah's other predictions will also be fulfilled. Each of these local invasions and conquests was a precursor and picture of the end times day of the Lord, which will come upon the whole world. But when the day of the Lord has run its course, Israel will be delivered, and the Lord will establish his glorious kingdom on earth. And now let's notice how the Lord reaffirms part of the Abrahamic covenant here. In Zephaniah 2 and verse 7, uh, God's word says, And the coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed thereupon, and the houses of Ashkelon shall they lie down in the evening. For the Lord their God shall visit them and turn away their captivity. This is God's promise to his people that that he will return them from captivity to inhabit the land of Ashkelon, which was a part of the territory God had given Abraham. This is a promise to fulfill that part of the Abrahamic covenant. Now notice the nations of the world are judged because of their pride. Zephaniah 2, 10-11 This shall they have for their pride. This shall they have for their pride. Because they have reproached and magnified themselves against the people of the Lord of hosts, the Lord will be terrible unto them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and men shall worship him, every one from his place, even all the isles of the heathen. The nations of the earth are judged because of their pride. Because they have magnified themselves, they have puffed themselves up, they have magnified themselves, the creatures, above God, the Creator. By putting themselves above God, they have brought a reproach upon God, the one who created them, and the Lord pours out his just wrath as a result. God will show all the false gods of the earth to be false. He will starve out all the false gods. God is going to judge the world because they have ignored him. They have not recognized him. 
When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Romans 1, 21-23 This is the reasons listed here in Romans chapter 1 that God will judge the world. God will, at the Millennial Kingdom, show himself to be the God, the only God, to all the world. This passage tells us that all men will one day worship God from all the ends of the earth. They will all worship God. Men shall worship him, every one from his place, even all the isles of the heathen. Now let's look at the judgment of God's people. Let's look at the judgment of God's people. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verses 1 to 5 say this, Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw not the bones till the morrow. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. Now Judah, God's people, God's people, we are told, were filthy and polluted by the sins and the ways of the world. That sounds mighty familiar to me. Uh, This is a mirror uh, of our time today. All over the world, all over our country, we can see professing Christians that have allowed themselves to be polluted by the ways and the sins of the world. Notice what God's people did not do. Uh, We just read this passage in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Now let's notice what God's people did not do. Number one, they did not obey God. They did not obey his word. They did not obey nor live by the principles laid out in his word for them. Number two, they did not receive correction. Uh, Perhaps they did not take heed to God trying to bring them back to himself uh, with that first gentler chastisement. Perhaps they ignored what they knew to be God's correcting actions in their life. They ignored God trying to draw them back to himself and continued their march headlong into worldliness, debauchery, and downright pagan practices. Number three, they did not trust the Lord. They failed to put their full and total trust into the Lord like his people are supposed to do. They tried to solve their own problems. They did not trust the Lord to see them through their difficulties. By not trusting the Lord, you are telling him you do not believe what he has given us in his word. You are telling him you do not believe the promises in his word. You are telling him you do not think he will or perhaps he is not able to fulfill all that is written in his word. By not trusting the Lord, you are in effect rejecting the Lord. And number four, they did not draw near to God. They did not draw close to him. They did not separate themselves from the world. They stayed in the world. They let the world and the things of the world entice them. 
They let the world and the things of the world deceive them, and they stayed wallowing in the mud and the filth of the world instead of drawing close to God. God's people, in our passage here, Zephaniah is telling us that God's people had satanic leaders. Zephaniah 3 3, her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw not the bones till the morrow. Now let's compare scripture with scripture here. As Solomon has said, the greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Uh, so we notice that in Zephaniah 3 3, it says, Her princes within her are roaring lions. So let's go to another passage of scripture that mentions a roaring lion. 1 Peter 5 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. In Zephaniah 3 3, the leaders of God's people are compared to roaring lions. And in 1 Peter 5 8, Satan is called a roaring lion. God brought and will bring judgment down upon his own people because they had leaders that were literally satanic. They had leaders that were more influenced by Satan than God and his word. And we can see this in our day and time right now. There are satanic leaders in so-called churches today. We can see this in many so-called churches, that they have satanic leaders that are more influenced by Satan than they are influenced by God and his word. We see this in our day and time. Many men who claim to be men of God, who say they are preachers sent from God, are actually being controlled or used or influenced by Satan to destroy God's people, to lead God's people astray, to deceive God's people, to keep God's people from genuinely giving out the gospel of Christ. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. In Matthew 7.15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They are ravening wolves. Now notice that next phrase in Zephaniah 3.3. Her judges are evening wolves. In other words, they are seeking their own good, not the good of God's people. Wolves are out for themselves. They are out for their own profit. They are out to fulfill their own desires. They do not really care about God's people. They are in it for self-promotion. Wolves work hard, but they only work hard for themselves. They gnaw not the bones till the morning, verse 3, Zephaniah 3, 3. These men are willing to get all they can. They want to get all they can to satisfy their selfish wants and desires. These men are filled with insatiable greed. If you'll notice, many of the wolves among God's people are very focused on material things, on what they get paid, on what they drive, on what they wear, on what toys they have, on what vacations they can take, on what places they can visit. They gnaw not the bones till the morrow. They keep working hard for themselves, working hard for material gain. Now, you can say self-help preachers and religious racketeers, Zephaniah 3, 4, her prophets are light and treacherous. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. Her prophets are light, verse 4. This does not mean that they give light. 
it means they do not really give the word of God. Uh, and if they do, it's just milk. No meat is involved. They're light. They're lightweights. They give. They may give a little smattering of psychology with a, a few scriptures thrown in to make it look like it's real preaching. This is the sort of thing that is being given out at pulpits all across our land today. They do not talk about the judgment of God. They do not talk about the need of sinners to come to Christ. Now notice next, her prophets are treacherous persons, verse 4. That is, they are racketeers, they're religious racketeers, they are scheming and scamming. Matthew 23 is a good commentary on this point. In that chapter, you'll find the Lord Jesus, his denouncement of these kind of religious rulers. Next notice, her priests have polluted the sanctuary. This is a very terrible thing, but how have they polluted the sanctuary? They have caused the world outside the church to lose respect for that which is sacred. By their lives, they have brought disrespect upon the temple, upon the sanctuary, upon the church in our time. The same thing happened in Samuel's day when Eli was priest. Men no longer had respect for religion, and today men decry the fact that the church has lost its influence. I decry that too. But to be frank, I do not think the church as a whole really deserves the full respect of the outside world when we cannot present them a church that is holy. We cannot present them a church that is all out living for God. Uh, Verse 4 also says they have done violence to the law. Here the law means the word of God. In other words, they do not interpret the word of God accurately. They abuse the word of God. They abuse the word of God. They twist the word of God. They twist the meanings of words. They they take out words. They add words. In fact, they did violence to the word of God by omitting the teaching of the word of God sometimes entirely, substituting instead the philosophies of men, disguising self-help talks with a bit of scripture. That's how you do violence to the law or do violence to the word. Now let's look at a picture of the day of the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 3 verses 6 to 8 says this, I have cut off the nations. Their towers are desolate. I made their streets waste that none passeth by. Their cities are destroyed so there is no man, that there is none inhabited. I said, surely thou wilt fear me, thou wilt receive instruction so their dwellings should not be cut off. Howsoever I punished them, but they rose early and corrupted all their doings. Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey, for my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. In these verses we have a picture of the day of the Lord. We have a picture of the great tribulation period that is coming in the future. Zephaniah moves from talking about God's people to speaking about the nations of the world in the last days. This is Armageddon, which ends with the return of Christ to earth. Great cities of the world will be destroyed. Look at verse 6 of Zephaniah chapter 3. I have cut off the nations, their towers are desolate. I have made their streets waste, that none passeth by. Their cities are destroyed, so there is no man, that there is none inhabitant. Their cities are completely destroyed. No one survives, no inhabitants. 
Can you imagine the great cities of our world being completely destroyed and being completely desolate? Not one person left. Can you imagine New York City entirely desolate, laying in ruins, all of its great buildings torn down, all the structures destroyed, the Statue of Liberty lying in the water at New York Harbor, the Empire State Building crumbled to the ground, the city of New York with not even one inhabitant. God said that is exactly what is going to happen to these great cities of the world when his judgment comes upon the earth in the tribulation. The world is moving toward a certain judgment. Zephaniah 3, 7-8 I said, Surely that will fear me, that will receive instruction, so their dwelling should not be cut off. However, I punished them, that they rose early and corrupted all their doings. Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation. Even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. This earth which we all live on is moving toward a soon coming judgment. Although people not believe it, they are moving to judgment. It is this judgment which will be initiated when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to this earth for his church. It begins with the great tribulation period. And it ends when he comes to establish his kingdom on this earth. Joel 3, 9-17 says, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war, wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Uh, Let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords, and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong, assemble yourselves. And come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord, let the heathen be wakened, and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion, and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people, and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall ye know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. This passage describes what is generally called the Battle of Armageddon. When the armies of the nations unite against the Lord and his Christ, Psalm 2, 1-3, and gather to destroy Jerusalem, Joel 3.16 and Zechariah chapter 12-14. Joel compares the battle to the harvesting of grain and grapes when God will defeat The enemy, as easily as a farmer, wields a sickle or plucks grapes and crushes them to make wine. Brightening signs from the Lord will accompany this battle. Uh, We see that in Joel chapter 3 and chapter 2. Joel 3.10 commands the nations to arm for battle, even to the point of turning farm tools into weapons. 
The name Armageddon is found only in Revelation 16.16, referring to the plain of Estralon, where many major battles were fought in Old Testament times. Revelation 16.13-16 informs us that Satan, through his demonic powers, gathers the armies of the nations to fight. The invasion will fail because Jesus will return in power and slaughter the enemy, turning the whole battle into a supper of flesh for the scavengers of earth. Revelation 19.17-19 Like a fierce lion, God will roar out of Zion and conquer the enemy. Amos 1, Hosea 11 When the lamb becomes a lion, the nations had better tremble. Revelation 5, 5. Everything will change when the king comes back and begins his reign. Joel promises a holy city, a restored land, a cleansed people, a glorious king in the great day of the Lord. Now God's judgments are taken away and the kingdom is established. We are now going to pass from darkness to the day and see the blessings which are in store. The storm is now over as far as this little book of Zephaniah is concerned. We have seen two kinds of judgments in the book of Zephaniah. Number one, there is God's judgment on his own people, uh, which is always chastisement. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Hebrews 12, 6. Then there is God's judgment on the unbelieving world. We find today that God takes his own, the great physician takes his own, the Lord takes the ones he loves and puts them on the operating table from time to time uh, for their own good. Uh, For we know that even in judgment, God is love. When he is judging the unsaved or when he is judging those who are his own, God is love. Someday, the final curtain will come down on this world in which we live Man's day in the sun will be over, and judgment will come for the lost of mankind. But God will restore his children, and we'll find out that what we endured down here was actually a blessing in disguise, and that Romans 8.28 is totally and 100% true. And we know that all things were together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, Romans eight twenty eight. Now there will be pureness, there will be unity, Zephaniah 3, 9. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. I like that, a pure language, no more foul language, no more double entendre, no more innuendo. If I return to the people, a pure language. In verse 9, we are no longer in the darkness of judgment, no longer in the day of the Lord, which begins at night. The sun has now arisen. The light has broken upon mankind. Won't it be great to have that pure language? One that is undefiled by swear words, undefiled by double meanings, undefiled by sinful connotations. Pure language means exactly what it seems to mean. The Lord is going to bring his people, give his people a pure language. There will be no blasphemy heard. There will be no vileness of vulgarity. There will be no repulsive things spoken. The language in the millennial kingdom will literally be pure. 
Won't it be a wonderful day when all people are united and all people want to serve the Lord? Zephaniah 3.11 And that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. God is talking about his own people in this verse. He is saying that some of them had no shame in their vile acts and gross immorality. They were not ashamed of it. But they were also not satisfied by it either. God's people will never reach the place where they can be satisfied in sin. Let me repeat that. God's people will never reach the place where they can be satisfied in sin. If you can live in sin and be happy, you can be sure of one thing, you are not a child of God, because God's people will never reach the place where they can be satisfied in sin. Now a remnant of God's people, Zephaniah 3 and verse 12, I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. God will always have a remnant. God will save a remnant of his people. Joel 2, 29-32 says this, And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered, for Mount Zion and Jerusalem shall be deliverance. And the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now Zechariah chapter 13, 8-9 says, And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people. And they shall say, The Lord is my God. God has always had a remnant. And there will be this very large remnant in the millennium. All of this has reference to the day when God will put his people back in their land and give them their land. Now let's look at how the Lord establishes his kingdom. Zephaniah three fourteen to 16 Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The king of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, Let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. The Lord Jesus will come to the earth. Evil will be put down. And the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah eleven nine. What a day that will be. God's people will rejoice. Uh, this is one of the most poignant passages in Scripture. 
It depicts the Lord as a loving Father, depicts the Lord Jesus Christ uh, singing over his children, finding joy in their presence. The people of God sing and shout because of all that God has done for them. He has taken away their punishment. He has defeated their enemies. And now he has come to dwell with them, to live with them. Furthermore, he has guaranteed that the people of Israel will never again be afraid because the Lord is the King of Israel. His people have nothing to fear. When Pilate presented a suffering Jesus to the Jewish leaders, they rejected him and shouted, We have no king but Caesar, John 19, 15. But now, but now the Jewish people will joyfully acknowledge that Jesus Christ is indeed the King of kings, and Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords. Philippians 2, 9-11 Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven, and things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Instead of standing dejectedly like a defeated prisoner of war, the Jews will enthusiastically shout God's praises. What do they have to sing about? To begin with, they have God's presence with them. That's enough. They have God's presence with them and God's power working for them. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Even more, their God holds them next to his heart like a loving mother holds a baby. He quiets them with his love and he even sings to them. This image of God assures forgiven sinners that God is with them, that he loves them, and that they have nothing to fear. Our God, get this, think about this, this is an incredible thought. Our God is a singing God. Our God is a singing God. He will joy over thee with singing, verse 17. God the Father sings to the Jewish remnant entering the kingdom. God the Son sang at the close of the Passover feast and then went to the garden to pray. When they sung, when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives, Matthew twenty six thirty. He also sang after his triumphant resurrection from the dead, Psalm twenty two twenty two, Hebrews two twelve. God the Spirit sings today through the hearts and lips of the Christians who praise God in the Spirit, Ephesians five, eighteen to twenty one. Our God is a singing God. That's just such an incredible thought. Our God is a singing God. That is something I cannot wait to hear. I cannot wait to hear the voice of God singing to his people. Our God is not only a singing God, our God is a comforting God. Zephaniah three eighteen to 20 I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, 
who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time will I bring you again, even the time that I gather you, for I make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth, when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. On this day the light will come, it will be glorious for the nation of Israel, and it will be glorious for the church also. God is putting many of us through the furnace, and he's putting many of us through trials. The glorious thing about heaven will not be the golden streets, it will not be the gates of pearl, And it will not be the fact that he is going to wipe away all tears. The glorious thing in heaven will be that we are going to thank him for every trial we've ever had. We're going to thank him for every burden he has put on us in this life. Uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote uh, this about these verses here in Zephaniah. Uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote, Persecution and contempt will come to an end, and the saints shall in the latter days be accounted the excellent on earth. Shame and reproach are the cross which Christians must carry for their Lord's sake, but the loving providence of God will change all this ere long to the confusion of our adversaries and his own eternal glory. Let us hope and quietly wait, resting in the love of God. Someday, when you and I are in the presence of our Savior, and what a day that will be, we will thank him for every burden. We will thank him for every trial. We will thank him for every heartache. We will thank him for dealing with us as a wise father deals with his children. And we will thank him for the dark side of his love. Now that concludes our, our messages here in the book of Zephaniah. Uh, Next week, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 24. We'll actually start uh, in Matthew chapter 23, and and we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 24 and 25 for the next several weeks in this podcast. And next week's message is entitled, Questions and More Questions. And if you're familiar with Matthew 24, uh, you understand where that title came from, Questions and More Questions. Uh, thank you for joining. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for uh, your interest. Be praying as we continue this that uh, that the Lord will just guide our, our thoughts and guide our study and that we will get out of this study of the end times exactly what the Lord would have us to get out of it. Again, next time we'll be starting in Matthew chapter 23 and we'll be digging into Matthew 24 and 25 over the next several weeks. And I'd like to also invite you out to our church. If you're in the Palm Coast, Florida area, and you do not have a good gospel preaching church that you are attending, I'd love to personally invite you to our church, New Beginning Baptist Church, centrally located in Palm Coast. So I'd like to invite you on out, and our contact information and address is all available there on our website, and that's easy to remember. That's newbeginningbaptist.church. So again, if you do not have a good church that you're attending here in the Palm Coast area, uh, we'd love to see you uh, visit us, stop by and visit us at our church, New Beginning Baptist Church. Thank you.